0: Chapter 3. Mr. Wicker's Window. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Arthur Piantadosi, Los Angeles, California. Mr. Wicker's Window. Chapter 3. The last vibrations of sound hung in the air and jangled in Chris's head. Of the many times he had examined Mr. Wicker's window and poured over the rope, the ship, and the Nubian boy, he had never gone into Mr. Wicker's shop. So now, alone until someone should answer the bell, he looked eagerly, if uneasily, around him. What with the one window and the lowering day outside, the long, narrow shop was somber. The ceiling seemed close above Chris's head heavy hand-hewn beams crossed it from one side to the other a few dusty pieces of furniture stood about whether for sale or for use chris could not determine and almost lost in the black shadows at the far end what appeared to be boxes and bales piled one upon the other the growing silence now the bell had stopped gripped chris a chill made itself felt in his feet and spread rapidly over his body so that he gave a convulsive shiver he was about to turn and go out when, at the farthest end of the gloomy shop, a small Priblo's oblong of light seeped for a little way across the floor, on the floor and a door opened. Yeah. Fascinated, Chris stared as into this distant powder stepped the short and remarkably spidery figure of a man. Mr. Wicker's back being toward the source of light, Chris could not see his face. The figure paused, with a fragile hand, scarcely bigger than that of a child's on the door-handle, and then came forward. The silence, Chris noted, was was still unbroken, as Mr. Wicker advanced toward him, and sh- shuddered again as he stood waiting and watching. But whether it was with cold or with fear, and the room was indeed very dark and unaired, it would have been hard to say. Mr. Wicker had come within a few feet of Chris, the final vestiges of daylight from outside reached the extraordinary man facing the boy, and for the first time Chris was able to examine the old man It was more legend than fact throughout Georgetown. William Wicker's face in itself was not forbidding. What made an icy mouse seem to run the length of Chris's spine was the impression of enormous age in the appearance of the man confronting him. The thin lips crackled the withered and multi wrinkled cheeks in the ghost of what had once been a smile. The nose once hawk like and proud and denoting strength of character and purpose was now pinched by the ever tightening fingers of a procession of years. The double fans of minute wrinkles breaking from eye corner to temple and joining with those over the cheekbones were drawn into the horizontal lines across the domed forehead. Little tufts of white fuzz above the ears were all that remained of the antiquarian's hair. But what drew and held Chris's gaze were the old man's eyes. Millie and Wicker's eyes were not those of an old man at all. They had the vigor of a man in the prime of life, and their presence in that puckered face of age which confronted Chris was horribly disconcerting. Chris blinked and looked again. Yes, they were still there eyes so deeply brown that they might well have been black but clear sparkling and with a decided glint of humour and mischief while the boy had been too frightened to move at the sight of mr wicker's ancient cheeks pinched nose and hairless head he was encouraged by the friendly eyes chris could not help but like those eyes even though it was hard to believe they belonged to the man before him as though from a great distance, McRister's voice came to his ears, and this, too, Frist found difficult to credit. There, not four feet in front of him, was the old shopkeeper, and yet the high, thin voice might come from anywhere else, the rafters, the room, beyond the lightened door, anywhere. Well, my boy, you wanted something. Chris swallowed, and his voice came back to him. Yes, sir he said. I saw your sign and I know a boy who needs the job. He looked at Mr. Wicker as though he was unable to look elsewhere. He's a schoolmate of mine. Jakey Harris's name is and he really needs the job. I wondered... Mr. Wicker's eyes, laughing at him just a little, confused Chris and began to stammer, I... I just wondered if the place was still open. Mr. Wicker studied Chris for a moment or two before he replied what he saw was a fresh-cheeked lad tall for thirteen sturdy with sincerity and good-humour in his face and something sensitive and appealing about his eyes his cheeks showed obstinacy and tenacity his nose would shape itself well as he grew older unruly tony hair was blown and ruffled in every direction and his hands even young as he was showed ability and strength said Mr. Wicker, and his remote smile broadened while his eyes sparkled with the warmth of a fire on a winter's night. "Mm, Yes. The job is still open, young man. But while you're here, why not apply for it yourself? Chris, somewhat less ill at ease, now he'd got this message out, shifted his feet and gave a short laugh. (laughs) Oh, no, thank you, sir. You see, I don't really need it, and Jakey does. It wouldn't be fair for me to take it if Jakey has a chance. He looked away and saw that the light from the distant hiding in room was jumping and flickering on the shadowed walls. He guessed there must be a lively fire in that room beyond. Of course, Chris added anxiously, I don't know what the job is. You don't say on the sign, and Jakie isn't awfully well. He has a twisted foot, and it makes him slow in walking. Would that interfere with Jakey g- getting the job, sir? Chris inquired. The reply was slow in coming, and Chris heard it as if the words had been spoken, not before him, where the black-outlined figure still stood. but was as if at his very ear, soft but clear, the words sounded. It will not interfere, of- yeah, Christopher, my boy. But now that you are here, you must make the test. Jake, you will be cared for, never fear. Almost as if in a dream, Chris felt an atmosphere drenching him as though a powerful scent filled the air. His head swam a little, and he realized that it was a long time since he had had lunch. He thought he detected a pleasant smell of herbs like the potpourri his mother had in bowls in their house. The sharp black outline of Mr. Wicker impressed itself on his eyeballs, and in the room, now totally dark except for the light that streamed from the far away open door, Mr. Wicker's body seemed to radiate a bright edge like a carbon paper held up to the sun. The voice in his ear once more filled his head with his hearing. You will make the test, my boy. Now, just turn around and tell me what you see out my window. Chris, in spite of the strangeness rising above him like a mist, remembered very well what lay outside the window. But even as he slowly turned, the thought pierced his mind. Why had he not seen the reflection of the headlights of the cars moving up around the corner of Walter Street, not the hill toward the traffic signals? And why had the sound of wheels, of gears, and of horns been so completely muffled out? The room seemed overly still. Then, in that second, he turned and faced about, the wide bow window was there before him, the three objects he liked best, showing Frosty in the moonlight that poured in from across the water. Across the water? Where was the freeway? It was no longer there, nor were the high walls and smokestacks of factories to be seen. The warehouses were still there. They were the very same, for Chris could make out the winch and tackle he had used as he opened the door. But instead of factories, instead of the freeway, the river flickered silver under the moon, and poles and masts of countless ships broke the starry sky. Flabbergasted and breathless, Chris was unaware that he had moved closer to peer out the window in every direction. No electric signs, no lamplit streets. Going as far as a wall to his left and leaning forward, Chris looked up towards M Street where the people's drug store had stood but half an hour before, rose the roofs of what was evidentially an inn. A courtyard was firstly lit by a flaring torch or two, showing a swinging sign hung on a post. The post was planted at the edge of what was now a broad and muddy road. Even as Chris stared, not knowing whether to believe what his eyes saw or not, there was a great sound of hoofs and a cracking whip. A coach with its top piled high with luggage stamped to a halt beside the flagged courtyard. Offlers ran out to hold a team of horses streaming in the cool night air, and link boys carrying torches and orange lanterns ran out to help the travelers in. A coachman wore knee breeches and a cockaded hat. Two gentlemen got down from the interior of the coach, stretching their cramped legs. Chris could catch the shine as lantern glow touched the silver buckles on their shoes. Their full-back coats were slightly lifted on the left by the tips of their rapiers, and a froth of white lace or muslin fell from their necks onto Satan waistcoats. They moved into the inn, the coach rattled off to the stable. Before the window, farm carts rumbled by, and instead of the broad outline of Georgetown roofs, Chris could see only a few chimneys against the stars and many lofty trees. What do you see, boy? Asked the voice, so gentle in his ear, Chris, frightened and dumbfounded, shook his head. I will tell you, Mr. Wicker said. My window has a power for those few who are to see. You are looking back into the past, my boy, the way it used to be. Then the coldness, the strangeness, the flickering of the light was too much for Chris. Blackness descended on him as if a hood. Had been dropped over his head, but before he was quite gone, he heard what he thought was Mr. Wicker's voice saying kindly, You will do. End. Mr. Wicker's Window, Chapter 3.